Can Canada resist the devil? Welcome to the Kennedy Report. I'm Kennedy Hall. In our last video, we talked about Canada as a failed state. We sketched out a basic history as to how we've arrived at this point. And although there is more to be said, I think we get the picture. In a way, the history of the downfall of Canada is not unique. And as I said in the last video, most formerly Christian nations have similar things to say. So perhaps this is an allegory for other nations, and maybe we can all find something to hope for together. I do not want to recap too much, so if you did miss the last episode, I suggest you watch it. But suffice it to say, Canada is more a nation of the Antichrist than anything. So, what do we do about that? Well, before I continue, please like this video, subscribe to this channel, visit Fatima.org to see what we have going on to help you grow in your faith and to spread the message of Fatima. And if you would, please consider a donation to help us grow in our efforts. So what do we do about that? Well, I was thinking about this on the way down today. We have to rebuild. Right now, as Christians in Canada, we're under a state of persecution. The holy sacrifice of the Mass is, in essence, considered barely legal. You can't organize with your like-minded Catholics. You can't perform your business in the way that you'd like to. There's a lot of things that you can't do. So eventually, whatever's going on right now, will end. In my opinion, there's probably three directions that this country is going to go into, and these probably mimic what's happening in other places around the world. In essence, we have the one direction where there might be a revival. It's true. There might be a revival of common-sense patriotism. There might be a resurgence of the church in some sort of supernatural manner. This has happened in history, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But we don't know if that's going to happen. We have to pray for that to happen, but we don't know. Another direction our country might go in, which is probably, in my opinion, the most likely, is that we're going to continue on this slow suffocation, eventually through a series of, I don't know, evolutions in public health decisions. When Canada, You see, the thing about Canada is that we're known for being a very friendly and open country, but we are, in reality, some of the most superior-minded people on Earth. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, ask the average Canadian what they think about America. And often you'll say, hey, what, what does it mean to be a Canadian? And they'll say, well, as long as I'm not American, that's actually kind of a common sentiment. So I've said since the beginning of this thing that I have a feeling we're going to watch the United States. We're going to watch them open up. We're going to watch a lot of those places get back to business. Flawed or not, it's not really the point, but in a better direction than us. We're going to say, oh, they're reckless. We have to do this Canadian, the Canadian way. And that seems to be what's happening. Which basically means we're in this thing for a little while longer. And as we continue, there will be more consequences. More businesses will close. More people will leave the church. More priests will continue in their cowardice. And more Canadians will lose the faith. I think that's the direction we're going to go into. The third option is, well, we might just go full-blown Chinese Communist Party of Canada and become a puppet state of the CCP all the way through. I hope that doesn't happen, but it's something that could happen as well. So we need to look somewhere for inspiration about what to do if we are going to rebuild and we're going to need supernatural aid. Well, let's look at Fatima for inspiration. At the time of the First World War and the Fatima apparitions, Portugal was going through something similar to what we're going through now. In fact, they were going through a Freemasonic takeover of the nation. And around the same time, they actually had a major respiratory illness, the Spanish flu, that ravaged the country. In fact, the persecution on the church was getting so strong that priests were being arrested and it was not easy for everyone to attend mass in the cities. 
Freemasons ruled the government at many levels, and they were reeling from a coup d'etat by the Portuguese Republic that kicked out the centuries-old Christian monarchy. History books will tell you that this so-called republic brought civil and religious liberties. But this always means, if you read between the lines, that it brought with it sexual revolution and anti-Catholic sentiment. People were losing their faith, and Portugal had just entered into a terrible war that they should have stayed out of. The nation seemed primed for a full socialist, Marxist revolution, and communism was brewing. We all know the story about what happened with the Fatima children. Being arrested and held captive by the local government so they could not attend the August 13th rendezvous with Our Lady. But they persevered, and Our Lady did not abandon them. Eventually, even the Freemasons witnessed the greatest miracle since the parting of the Red Sea at the miracle of the sun. After Our Lady and Our Lord made it clear what heaven required concerning the consecration, the Portuguese bishops consecrated Portugal to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in 1931. A year later, Antonio Salazar took control of Portugal and rid the nation of Freemasonic and socialist influence. He established a Christian state based on the principles of the social teachings of the Pope. He was not a perfect man, and the liberal history books call him a quote-unquote authoritarian, but those same books will tell you that there were redeeming qualities about Karl Marx and Stalin. So take it with a grain of salt. Portugal entered into an era of great piety and devotion and economic recovery. It was a nation on fire with the Catholic faith, and along with Spain, rid itself of communist takeover. While much of Europe entered into the Second World War and experienced socialist decay, Portugal went into a different direction. Although the Portuguese nation did previously seem like it was on the brink of collapse, they were spared because of their Catholic devotion to Our Lady. Now, is this possible for Canada? Maybe, but we would have to have a strong devotion to the faith and a resurgence of piety, which I admit seems impossible. To all our French-speaking Quebecois watchers and listeners, it is most possible in that province. Although the faith has been lost there, it can be retrofit pretty easily. But what if there was something that all of us could look to in the history of our nation where we could find strength? Well, let's go back to the beginning of Canada. We find that this nation is a nation of great martyrs. The following is taken from my book, Terror of Demons, Reclaiming Traditional Catholic Masculinity, and can be found at kennedyhall.ca. The North American martyrs, or as we call them in Canada, the Canadian martyrs. And in America, sometimes they're called the American martyrs, but in reality, they're probably the French martyrs, considering they were French, but they lived most of their lives, at least in this part of their life, on Canadian soil. They included St. John de Brebeuf, St. Isaac Jogues, and their companions. They all died brutal deaths for the conversion of the native inhabitants they now encountered. These men traveled across the Atlantic Ocean and walked thousands of kilometers throughout the Great Lakes region. They did so in order that they may convert the pagan aboriginals, specifically the Huron, Algonquin, and Iroquois tribes. At first, they had relative success in converting the Algonquins, but the Huron and Iroquois were more hostile. Our insane culture has labeled all missionaries of the past as so-called colonizers, who sought to forcefully impose a civilization on the native people and rid them of their cultural history. But this is historically inaccurate when you analyze the lives of the martyrs. They wintered with the tribes and adapted to their way of life. They lived in their dwellings, ate their food, 
and learned their crafts. Meanwhile, they taught them the Catholic faith, bringing to them baptism and saving their souls. If the North American martyrs were concerned with any sort of colonization, it was a colonization of salvation. Initially, Brebeuf had very little success with the Huron tribe. And because of this, he returned home, only to return years later. Throughout his unsuccessful first journey, he lived in extreme hardship, often going days without food. Why on earth would he return to such a tumultuous existence? He did so because he believed, rightly so, that the native people needed the saving truth of the gospel and the saving waters of baptism. Speaking of their evangelization method, Brebeuf wrote that they began all of their catechizing efforts with the memorable truth that at death the immortal soul is separated from the body, going either to heaven or to hell. If you are ever told that speaking like this in evangelization is quote-unquote uncharitable, please disregard this nonsense. True Christian charity desires the salvation of every soul. How can we preach the good news if we do not make clear the bad news? Anyway, on one occasion, St. Isaac Jogue and companion were captured by the Iroquois and beaten severely with knotted sticks. Their hair, beards, and nails were torn off, and their forefingers were bitten through. The Iroquois bit off their index fingers and thumbs to render the priests incapable of offering the holy sacrifice of the Mass. However, Pope Urban VIII granted Jogue special permission to offer the Mass with mutilated hands. He said, It would be unjust that a martyr for Christ should not drink the blood of Christ. It is quite poetic, considering he shed his own blood to do so. Some years into his journey, St. Isaac Jode suffered martyrdom at the hands of the Iroquois. They hacked off his head with a tomahawk. After the death of Jog, the Iroquois attacked the Huron community where St. John de Brebeuf was living. Brebeuf had experienced much more success on his second attempt with the Hurons than on his previous. They were converting and coming to know our Lord through the sacraments. The torture of St. Jean de Brebeuf and his companion at the hands of the Iroquois was as heinous as anything you could imagine. Through the humiliation of having every inch of their naked bodies beaten with sticks, St. Jean de Brebeuf continued to comfort his newly found spiritual children who witnessed him go through his own passion. Hatchets, heated to a red-hot temperature, were applied under their armpits and beside their bowels. Necklaces of smoldering blades were placed around their necks. The sadistic torturers then girdled them with bark soaked in pitch and resin, which are fire-starting liquids, and set them ablaze. Through all of this, St. Jean de Brebeuf continued to preach the gospel and to offer his life as a passion and expiation for the souls of native people that he loved so much. The Iroquois were so enraged by the saving truth of Jesus Christ that they cut off his nose, gagged his mouth, and tore off his lips. The persecutors went on to inundate him and his priest companion with boiling water as a type of diabolical baptism. Large pieces of the priest's flesh were cut off their living bodies and roasted as food, again to mock the blessed sacrament 
of the Most Holy Eucharist. The martyrs finally died as their hearts were cut out of their chest while they were still living. Like St. Longinus, the Roman centurion who thrust the spear into the side of Christ, the persecutors and tribes who witnessed this death converted to the one true faith. You might be thinking, that is all well and good, but those saints had great faith. Our priests, generally speaking, do not, and our bishops, unfortunately, have followed suit. Furthermore, they evangelized people who had never heard of Christ. You're right, but listen, there are still good priests. Sometimes you might even see them walking around in cassocks. And our nation is once again a nation of unbaptized people who have never been catechized and who have rejected what little they knew, if anything, of the faith. Certainly, Quebec has to reclaim its faith in some fashion. The French made this nation Christian, and I can't see how there will be a restoration without them. Perhaps it is not an accident that the Canadian priest, Father Gruner, started this apostolate, which has been a voice crying out in the wilderness about the truth of Fatima. Perhaps it is not an accident that in this failing nation, we have kept the flame of truth against all odds that will bring a great triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. God works in mysterious ways, and he chastises those who he loves. St. Paul tells us, and I'll paraphrase, that God puts his children through hardship in order to make them strong. Good. What an amazing time to become a saint. In order to be a saint today in Canada, you just need to hold on by your fingertips and not lose the faith. Do not let go and you will have shown heroic virtue and fortitude in your devotion. Our nation is at war with its own history. It is aborting and sterilizing itself out of existence, and it is depressed. This is bad news, but what is the remedy for bad news? Good news. How about the good news, the gospel, the saving truth of Jesus Christ? Normal people are tired of what they see. They want more. They want love. They want God. The heart of a true Canadian is the same heart as those great men and women who survived great winters and great hardships. The heart of the true Canadian is the heart of the Catholics who founded this nation. And as we look around, we are seeing Canadians start to wake up. Let's take a look at what that looks like. We're into our ninth month, our ninth month of fear-mongering, our ninth month of people dying because they didn't get their cancer diagnosis on time. We're into our ninth month of elevated rates of suicide and alcoholism and drug overdoses, millions of people thrown into unemployment. These are not temporary. If, this, if these were temporary restrictions, I wouldn't be here today, and I don't think you would be either. So, story because it's really a powerful story when we look back at it. The Battle of Capion, there was the battalion of Canadian soldiers facing a brigade 
of communist Chinese and North Korean soldiers. They were outnumbered 10 to 1. And this small group of Canadian soldiers stood their ground. Yes. Stood their ground day and night. And they fought back. And they won. And that's what Canadians do when we stand our ground. We win. No matter how big the odds are against us, we win. Well, it may not be that this is a procession or a specifically Christian endeavor, but you have to understand something. The people of my great nation are tired. They know what it's like to live a life of depression, of pornography, of divorce, of drug abuse, lockdowns, corrupt politicians, shattering the lives of families, shuttering churches, economic depression. They want more. There are many people in this nation where their hearts are oriented towards the good. Perhaps there has never been a time that has been more fruitful than this time in our history to share the truth of Jesus Christ. In this last year and a bit, 61, 62 weeks of the two weeks, I'll just read whatever we're in, the one grace that I think we've seen is that people who see through the nonsense, they are finally looking for objective truth. That's a start. A year and a half ago, you might not be able to have these conversations with people because various political differences, although important, would keep you apart. But now, I've attended these events, and it's amazing how open people are to hearing about God, and specifically, Jesus Christ. Perhaps, in God's heavenly symmetry, the land that was called Vinland, or Vineland, by the Catholic Vikings who came a thousand years ago, will be the fruitful soil of the vineyard of the Lord as we pray for the restoration of the true faith in our country. Our national anthem says, God, keep our land glorious and free. I love my country. Pray your rosary every day. Pray for the conversion of my nation, that it might be spared from the errors so entrenched throughout, and that we can resist the devil. Please visit Fatima.org to see what we have going on to help you grow in your faith. Please like this video and subscribe to this channel. And if you could, consider a donation to help us grow in our efforts. This has been the Kennedy Report. God bless Canada. I'm Kennedy Hall.